Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by Ra Ra Consulting and the Ra Ra Spirit Team Mentorship. Hey, it's Lauren here. I'm an expert in time management, content creation, and mindset work. My day job is working with overwhelmed or unmotivated business owners or service providers who want to get organized and motivated and review their current business practices so that they can kick start their journey to further success. You know, the average person with an average life lives 27,350 days. And even though we know that we just shape shift into something different after our time is done here, I believe that making use of your time and living the life of your dreams, which is a life of flow and bliss, is so incredibly important. And I want to help you do that. I can help you through business and life challenges. I can help you to, you know, change your mindset, to create time for self-care, to look at your dreams and to create a roadmap to help you get there. Also through the Raw Raw Spirit team, I offer group mentoring as well. So if one-on-one is not your thing, you're interested in more of a group scenario, then that would definitely be an option for you. All the details can be found in the show notes. You can also head to my website at rawrawconsulting.com or you can send me a DM on Instagram or on Facebook at any time to see whether or not working together is uh, maybe a good fit for both of us. All right, time for the episode. show. My guest today is Jamie Day. She is an evidential medium working internationally to help people connect with their past loved ones for messages of love, healing, and validation. Jamie also teaches spiritual development for helping people learn to connect with their own spirituality and divine gifts in a realistic and manageable way. Ooh, I like that. When she's not reading or teaching, Jamie loves exploring nature with her four children, eating donuts. I hear you on that too, girl. And researching unresolved <laughs> cases and missing people. Woohoo! Jamie has joined me today to talk all about her work and uh, well, we'll see what else we get up to. I know we're going to talk about spirit circles. I can't help but be completely fascinated about talking about unresolved cases and missing people as well. But before we get into that conversation, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It seems like I ask everybody the same thing every single time, you know, when I kick off the show, but I feel like we really do kind of need to go back and find out a little bit about how spirituality sort of showed up in, in your life. You know, were you always connected to spirit? Were you always able to talk to uh, passed over loved ones, for example? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So um, I, I have to be honest and say that my whole life, I've always sort of seen ghosts, right? Since I was a small child, but I always thought it was just that I just thought it was, I, and I really actually enjoyed it because I'm a little weird and I'm into kind of creepy things and things like that. But I also, I think I intuitively felt the comfort in it and, and I knew not to fear it. So um, I kind of just thought it was good luck. Like I, you know, they knew I wasn't afraid, so they would show themselves to me. Um, then, uh, my mother-in-law passed away unexpectedly and she, and I was an adult. I had children. I was pregnant with my youngest who's four now. Um, I was newly pregnant. I, the last time I saw her, I had told her that I was, we were having another one. 
Um, and she passed away very unexpectedly. And suddenly it was like, she was everywhere all the time. Um, I could sense her behind me. I could, I felt like she was talking to me or trying to touch me or trying to reach me. And the signs were just like undeniable. And, um, because I missed her so deeply, we were very close, um, because I missed her so deeply, I really started trying to foster that connection. I, I found so much comfort in it and I wanted her around. And when I realized I could experience her, it kind of opened up my eyes and I would say to myself, okay, if I can do this, what else could happen? What else am I capable of? What else is going on here? And so I dove deep into it and I, um, even pregnant would stay up like all night trying to read everything I could listen to podcasts and YouTubers, um, just absorb as much information as possible and sort of, sort of try and practice the things that I was learning. And I actually kept it completely secret. Didn't tell anybody for around a year. (laughs) And then it took me another year after that to go public with it and finally open my business but I was reading every single day. You know what, Jamie, it's so funny because one of the questions that I actually had to ask you or was really curious about asking you was how did people react to you, um, you know, in your life when they found out that this was something that you can do? So it sounds like you hit it for a year. I mean, did you hit it from your, from your partner as well? Or did you kind of bring, oh, (laughs) so you, you were in the closet for a year, the spiritual closet, as they say. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't tell my husband at all, not only because, um, I was like, he's going to think I'm insane, but, um, you know, I had always been into like tarot cards and ghosts and things like that. And I had always been really interested in mediums and kind of fascinated by it. So I thought he would just think I was like, not delusional. Like I wanted to be this or something also because this was his mother that we were experiencing. I don't know. It felt heavier to me than if it had just been something personal only for me. I did, however, tell my sister-in-law hit my husband's sister who also happens luckily for me to be my best friend in the world. And, um, she was incredibly supportive and, um, you know, I was able to quote unquote, prove it to her by connecting her with her mother um, and her father who had also passed. So when we realized that it could help people, I was more willing to come forward with it. My poor husband was like, okay. (laughs) Um, I I think it just took him a little while to wrap his mind around it. He's so funny because he brags about me now. He's very supportive. But at first he was kind of like, are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, of course. One of the things that I find doing this uh, podcast when I'm speaking with people is that, you know, some of the stuff that people say or share their experiences are just so out of this world that it's as though our minds just can't comprehend that this is even a possibility. It's, it's as though we're meant that, or we're meant to be conditioned to think that all these things are are a fantasy. And so when they become real, or when you're showing your evidence, like you were talking about with your, your sister-in-law, you know, that you were proving to them that, you know, this is a legitimate thing, you know, I mean, minds are blowing all over the world when these things happen. Right. (laughs) Right. And the irony in it is actually that it's more natural to lean into it and to have these experiences than it is to shut it out. 
Yeah, that's so true. It's it's our natural state of being. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I kind of feel like for myself, I was always sort of afraid of connecting with spirit to a degree because of horror movies and, you know, scary things like that. But when you were talking about your mother-in-law being around you and the connection and the love that you had for her, you know, you can't help but feel like that's not scary. That's amazing and wonderful. Yeah. I felt so supported by her and I, you know, I was pregnant and I was devastated that she was never going to get to hold this baby. That was like the big thing for me. And, um, I remember one day, a little while after she, um, had passed, I worked a regular full-time job, And one day after she had passed, I was driving to work and I was feeling really emotional and having a really hard time with it. And I was crying and talking to her the whole way to work. And when I got to work, um, there's a church a couple doors down from where I used to work and they were having a funeral and they were doing a bagpipe procession to Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. And she was Scottish, um, the bagpipes in Mm, particular, that exact arrangement. Yeah, they were very special to her, that exact arrangement that they were doing. Not to mention that, but we, I sang along with the help of some of my friends, um, Amazing Grace at her funeral, which had only just passed. So wow. um, to me, yeah, that was special to me. And then I was like, oh God, <laughs> we got to go with this. We got to roll with this because this feels good. She's around me. She's supporting me. I love her. This is amazing. I feel yeah. so good knowing she's around me. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that we are going to talk about a little bit later in our conversation are tips and tricks for connecting with your loved ones and also how to kind of pick up on signs from the universe where, um, you know, maybe uh, you think it's a sign, but uh, maybe it's not, or maybe it is a sign, but you're not really picking up on that. So we would definitely go there in a minute. One of the things I did want to ask you, Jamie, is, you know, you kind of go by the title of being an evidential medium. So what is an evidential medium? Does that mean you show evidence or, you know, how is that different from a regular medium that doesn't add evidential at the front of the word medium? (laughs) Sure. So uh, mediums can call themselves a number of different things. Like you may see a lot of people who say that they're a psychic medium. And now all mediums are technically psychic mediums because mediumship exists um, basically at a higher vibrational frequency than psychic connections. So if you are able to reach mediumistic connections, then you're automatically able to reach psychic connections. Not all mediums choose to use that in their work though. Some mediums only connect with past loved ones. Um, I refer to myself as an evidential medium because I want people to understand that I think that evidence is at least in the beginning of the reading, probably the most important part. And the reason is because that's where you find your validation. Now, messages from your loved ones are also extremely important. But if I were to sit down and say to you, I I just meet you, I sit down and I say, hello, Joe, I'm here to tell you that your mom is here and she would like you to please go on a diet before you have a heart attack and kill yourself, right? Joe is going to be offended. (laughs) But if I get to Joe first, 
with the evidence and I explained to him what his mother looked like, what she liked to do, the fact that she could be kind of short like that in terms of the way that she might speak to him, um, her, her attitude, her personality, her favorite things, what she experienced when she died, things that she's heard him say since she's passed, things that have happened in his life since she's passed that she can prove that she's been watching for. Well, Joe is much more likely to understand the message and to receive the message mm. that his mother has for him once I've sort of shown him that she's really around. Yeah, that's so good. And one of the ways that you have to show people that they're around is by discerning or deciphering what spirit is telling you and then explaining it in yes. a way that's going to be relatable to the person you're reading for. I would imagine that's not always easy. Yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes stuff is pretty straightforward and I can explain it easily. I understand what I'm seeing. Other times I get an image or sometimes even just a feeling or um, what happens a lot of the time for me is, I, and, and my students too, I share this with them as sort of a technique that you can lean into. What happens with me a lot, especially if I'm reading, say, grandparents, um, I'll get a connection from my own memory. They'll use that as sort of a frame of reference to get me to say something in particular, to get me to do a point. I have to figure out, oh, is my grandma popping in for a visit or is this something your grandma was showing me or how, where is the connection there? And so sometimes I just will flat out ask during the reading, I am seeing something super weird. I have no idea what this means, but please tell me what this means to you. Right. And so when you are, so it's kind of like, it would be, I guess the way that I think about it is that it would almost be impossible for somebody to use experiences from my life and put them into your head because it wouldn't mean anything to you. You'd spend so much time trying to figure out what that meant, but when they make it relatable to an experience that you've had in your life, then you're able to kind of net it out with the other person. So can you use an example of, of what you mean by that? Like you brought in the grandmother aspect. So would you bring, would you see your grandmother and then say to them, I'm getting a grandmother, and then they would go, oh, my grandmother just passed away, or, or is that kind of how it works? The memories that I get are a little bit deeper into the reading. So when we first start out, I'm less likely to see my grandmother. I'm more likely to see your grandmother or to feel the grandmother energy. And then we start to establish the connection that I have with your grandmother. And then what happens is your grandmother pulls a memory. Now I do see some things that have no relation to me. They have relation to you. I do see references from your life. I do see references from your grandmother's life. Sometimes she might even show me things that happened long before you were born, memories from her childhood. Um, but then sometimes what happens is I'll see a memory from my own childhood and your grandmother is pulling that from my brain so that I can get sort of a frame of reference. Let me give you an example of something that's actually happened. Um, I've been reading for somebody connecting with their grandmother and I have suddenly seen sort of a memory of um, my childhood, us all making, we would spend the whole day making apple pies. We would just make tons of them so that we could put them in the freezer and have them to eat for the whole year. Um, and the whole family, all the women in the family will come over and we'd all be making these pies. It was a lovely day. And so I might say to you like, oh, did your grandmother really like to bake? Did she make apple pies? 
Um, and they might say, no, she hated to bake. She never made apple pies. And I would say, okay, then this doesn't make any sense to me, but let me tell you what I just saw. And I would relay the memory. And then they might say, oh, it wasn't apple pies, but yeah, we would make, um, you know, ravioli together or yeah, we did that every year, something like that. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. That's so cool. I just find when I learn more about mediumship is the most interesting thing ever. How do you find you deal with skeptics? I mean, do you ever have skeptics come to you? And then all of a sudden you're like, bam, bam, bam. And then, you know, watching their mind being blown at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually one of my favorite things. And I have no problem reading for a skeptic. I, um, I've had many people tell me that I've made a true believer out of them. I love to hear those words. True believer. That's such a nice quote to give me because it means that I've really helped you not only believe in it. I don't care if you believe in it or not. What I want is for you to feel the comfort of it, the yes. support of it. Yes. Because I think that's one of the biggest things, at least for myself, one thing that started me along my spiritual journey was that I was really terrified of dying. And so when you learn that we don't die, we just transition. It is exactly what you said. There's yes. this whole comfort feeling, you know, the fact that your mother-in-law is is around you and guiding you. I mean, what could be more comforting than that? You know, I can't imagine a life where you would think that that person is just forever gone. Yes. And you know what? It becomes about building a relationship with them in their new form. I feel as though my mother-in-law is a regular presence in our life. Um, we talk to her. We make her favorite meal on her birthday. Um, we do things in her honor around here all the time. When we see, you know, signs from her, we acknowledge them and we say, thank you, Grammy, for sending that. We love you. We miss you. We, we've cultivated a new relationship with her to where she a regular fixture around here and I can't imagine having it any other way. How do you communicate this stuff with your children? One thing that I um, often think is that, you know, children are closer to the veil, so to speak, than we are. You know, we have to undo a lot of conditioning, uh, but, you know, they're kind of still fresh and, and maybe they're able to connect a little bit more. So are your children open to this subject? Do they connect with spirit as well? So um, my children are both very sensitive. Um, I think that my son will likely be um, a stronger medium than I am should he choose to develop himself and seek training um, or seek, you know, more structure in his practice. Um, that being said, we don't talk about that part of it much. We talk about it in terms of our own past loved ones. Um, and I would say that's because they're so sensitive. I don't feel the need to invite anything extra in their life right now, but my two youngest are, are still really young. Um, they're only seven and four. My two oldest are teenagers, um, my, my husband's children from his first marriage. And they, I hope they know that they're welcome to come and chat with me about anything. And I'm happy to give them advice about any of this. Um, my middle daughter is interested in it and we talk about it often and I'm willing to be completely open and honest with her. Mm -hmm. My oldest, I think is that major skeptic, just that's how she is as a person. And we respect each other and it's fine. Anytime she has questions for me, she can ask and I'm happy to answer them for her as honestly as possible. Yeah. I guess the thing is that we all have to go through life in our own way. And I know that, especially when I was a teenager that, you know, you couldn't tell me what to do. I needed to figure it out myself. So I guess that's a big part about our journey here on earth as well. Yes. And it's actually really natural for gifts to wane in your teenage years um, because 
your body is focusing on so many other things. And that's kind of how I feel about my kids. Like we talk about past loved ones all the time. And we talk about, you know, that's a sign from so-and-so and they, they have crystals and they love, they ask for Reiki and, you know, we'll smudge them with some cleansing herbs, but we try not to focus on the dark stuffs too much just because they're so sensitive. I don't want to invite anything in that they don't like, or don't want, or it doesn't yeah. feel good to them. Yeah, <laughs> they can do it course. themselves. I'm all about consent. How important is protection in relation to the work that you do? That's a good question. And that's a fair question. And I think part of it relates to how much fear you particularly have around it. I have very little fear around it. So I don't feel the need to protect myself that much because my lack of fear is a uh, repellent in its own right. Right. Um, because of the law of attraction, what we think about is what we pull in. Um, the energy that we're giving off is what we attract and draw to us. So I work in the light and I don't live in fear. And I know that spirit is pure love and supportive. That being said, I always cleanse myself before a reading so that I can fully surrender anything of my own that might belong to me before my reading and just to be there for my client. And then I cleanse myself again after so that I can... Um, you know, gently ask everybody to leave and return me back to my own <laughs> problems. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have any problems. Right? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Just no, life is good, but you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so one of the things that you do do is you teach mediumship as well. And you, um, you have different students. And I know one of the things that you did mention to me before I hit record was that you also do and host a, a spirit circle. So, um, is learning to be a medium something that anyone can learn to do or are some people just more skilled at it than other people? Um, yes. <laughs> yes is the answer to that question. Both. So um, we all naturally have this ability to do this the same as we have all naturally have the ability to be a little bit psychic the same way that we all naturally have spiritual gifts and the ability to tap into God source universe creator whatever you want to call it um now let's think about it I guess let's let me use an analogy of a piano player right some people are born into this life and have absolutely no desire or interest in ever learning to play the piano. Others are, you know, it's forced on them, but they find a love for it and they end up striving to become piano players. Um, even fewer than that will strive to become professional pianists where they train and practice and work and um, work really hard at fine tuning their abilities and it's mediumship is the same way. So everybody has the ability to connect with people on the other side, whether or not you are drawn to it is an important thing to pay attention to. Um, and you know, from there, if you're drawn to it, it's probably because it's part of your path and there's something about it for you. That's meant to be a part of your life. I have no interest in being a rocket scientist. Like it's never crossed my mind yeah. because it's not part of my path and I have no reason to think about it. Yeah. Um, but if you're thinking about mediumship and you're interested in it and you're like, gosh, I wonder if I could do that, then it's worth at least considering or exploring because there's a reason that you're drawn to it. Yeah, exactly. And I remember reading a book, I think it was Think and Grow Rich. And they're basically, um, the author was talking about how, you know, you wouldn't actually think of anything in your mind that you wanted to come to fruition if you weren't able to do it yourself, like if you weren't able to actually bring it into reality. So, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, we want to play 
sorry, I'll rephrase that. I think sometimes we play small as humans and, you know, it's Marianne Williamson's quote where we're afraid of standing in our own power and how powerful we can be. And I mean, do you think that sometimes people think, well, why would I be special enough to have this gift? All the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. People think that. Yeah, I think that, you know, sometimes it's about as well how people around us are going to react. You know, we've all seen that movie where, you know, the kids, like I talk to dead people and, uh, you know, sometimes that just seems like such a far out concept that you almost need to be also prepared for people in your world, understanding that this is who you are or the journey that you're taking. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's funny is when I first started the mediumship development course that I teach, I initially had a lesson on fear um, right at the beginning because people were telling me initially that, oh, I'm afraid of anything dark or I'm afraid of like, what if I pull something through bad? And then as I got to know these people, I realized that that's not their primary fear. In fact, it's one of the lowest concerns that any of them had. Their main fear has always been, what if I can't do it? And what if people think I'm nuts? Every single one of them. Um, yes. I have one student right now who was like, I have no idea why I want to take this. There's nothing in my life that has told me before that I should take this. I have no idea what I'm doing. Every single week when she does a practice, she tries to get me to like, give her hints because she's so nervous. Like she's just, I just want to know if I'm on the right track. I'm so nervous. Right. And then when we get together, I mean, her messages are like mind blowing all, even all the other students are always like, wow, she's really good. <laughs> and so, but she's still nervous every week. I think I'm just making it up. And that's a very, very common fear. And what I just tell everybody is, is really the best ways to conquer that are number one, practice, practice, practice. And number two, um, to just lean into the trust. You've got to just go with it. And you know what? You can't be afraid of hearing no. You have to put your fear of hearing no from your client or your sitter or whoever you're practicing on totally out of your head. And you've got to be willing to just surrender and go for it. Yeah, that's so good. Can you think of an example, um, you know, for your students or even just yourself where, any, you know, you really just had to trust what you were getting? Because I would imagine that sometimes, <laughs> you know, you use the apple pie story, but I would imagine that sometimes you're getting, you know, signs or messages and you're like, I don't understand what this means, but I have to say it. <laughs> yeah. So in my uh, spirit circle this past weekend, um, that exact that exact same student that I was just referencing got very strong um, images and memories. Now we are from Massachusetts. I live in Maine now, but we're from Massachusetts. We're from the North Shore of Massachusetts, and so she was getting very strong references from her personal life to the movie The Perfect Storm, which is um, it was like a blockbuster, but it was a true story about some men who died out at sea. Um, from our neck of the woods. Um, I think it had George Clooney in it. It's a good movie. So good. And she was getting strong images of that and that time period in her life when she worked in Gloucester and, you know, she knew some of the families and all that. And it was really funny because the, the sitter, our volunteer was kind of like, Oh, I don't, yeah, you know, maybe he liked to fish. Like, I don't see what the big deal is, but 
my, my poor student just couldn't, it like was so strong with her that she couldn't let it go. And she kept saying, no, I'm telling you, man, I'm still seeing the perfect storm. Um, my volunteer reached out to me after the fact and, and the rest of the reading, by the way, was great. She had tons of other thing that was evidential that made sense for my volunteer that she could connect her with her loved one. Um, but the perfect storm thing was like, yeah, yeah. You know, I guess he liked to fish. Well, she, reached out to her family after our practice and came back to me and said, wouldn't you know, he used to live next door to the men that died on the ship. He's been on their ship. He's fished with them. Wouldn't you know that he, he knew them. Amazing. And so there it is. Oh, that gave me full on goosebumps. Yes. And that's proof too, that you sometimes have to just be willing to trust. Even if your sitter is like, I don't know, just say, okay, well then we'll keep going. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why you can't be afraid of no, because maybe they don't know. In this case, she didn't know, but she was willing to ask her mom and her mom knew. Yeah. Um, so you just have to trust no matter what you're getting, even when the person says no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we've all been in those scenarios where we think, oh, that makes sense now, or, you know, caught up in the moment and you're looking for something that's maybe a really literal sign, but it's a little bit more vague than that. You need that time to kind of digest. I would imagine when someone's giving you a reading, that would be an overwhelming thing. You're dealing with the grief. You're dealing with, you know, the fact that this imaginary, you know, thing is real. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot for Mm -hmm. the, the sitter to be working through as well. Yes. And there's, that's absolutely true. And that's actually really common. I get messages after that, the fact all the time, you know, that thing I said no about, well, I remember now <laughs> I just forgot. I was complete. I completely forgot. Um, and you know, you have to be careful as you're developing because the better you get, maybe the more tempted you might be to get kind of an ego about it. Um, so you don't want to ever think that you're right and spirit is wrong because that's never the case. I assure you <laughs> in the times that the person can't take it and then comes back to me later and says, no, I still don't know what that means. Well then fine. It's on me. You know what I mean? I, I misunderstood it. I misinterpreted it. I did not understand the way they were telling me it's never spirit's fault. So you don't want to get an ego about it, but yeah, sometimes it just happens. Um, you know, in a little bit, we're going to talk about your uh, passion with researching unresolved cases and finding missing people. And I do want to know how you kind of decide what to tell people or not. But before we get to that, I do want to know a little bit about whether or not you need to educate your sitter before you actually read for them. Do you kind of need to tell them what to expect? Do you need to explain to them, you know, you might want to tell me the full story of the perfect storm, but I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So I usually have a little sort of speech that I give people before I do a reading, um, where I sort of lay out, I don't want to say rules cause it's not like that, but I'd lay out some sort of expectations on both of our ends. You know, you don't want to tell me too much information because then that removes you of the opportunity to have that as evidence. That being said, sometimes somebody, we'll hear something from spirit. I'll share something that spirit shared with me and the person will get so excited that they want to kind of elaborate and give little details. And if there's a tiny little story that you want to share about what I just said, that's fine. You don't have to feel like you can't speak to me other than yes or no. I know some mediums work that way. I, I don't. Um, you just want to always be really, really careful that you're not feeding information. So I do have some things that I say to sort of set up the expectation, but honestly, there's so much to be said or so much to to teach in terms of that, that I don't, 
it, sometimes it's just, I'll explain it as it comes. So I might say to a person something as it comes up about the way that the spirit world works. And don't worry, I want you to know this about this situation that the person's telling me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those things that comes up often, an example that I'll give you is just to remind people that spirits sort of sink back into their humanity and their um, human essence when we do a reading. So if we're talking about things like grief or guilt or these human emotions, don't be sad. It doesn't mean that they're up in heaven feeling that way or they're tortured or they're grieving or they step into their humanity for a reading so that you recognize them so that you can explain to them um, so, so that you too can have a conversation in their most human form. So that's something I say a lot in, during readings when it comes up. That's beautiful. I love that a lot because in a way too, you wouldn't be able to recognize your person if they didn't come in and kind of step into maybe the role they were playing while they were here. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the ways that I know you um, have worked with your students is you have a spirit circle. So is a spirit circle exactly what it is? People get in a circle and they connect a spirit. So there are a couple of different versions of this. Um, Ideally, if we were in person, we would sit in a circle. (laughs) However, um, we do it virtually. So it's as much of a a circle as Zoom can handle. (laughs) Yeah. Now there are two types of circles that you can get in. And one would be just a practice circle where um, everyone involved is a developing medium. Maybe there's somebody who leads the circle for the sake of clarity, but we're not really working on teaching at all. It's just purely about the practice and we're all equals. There are also types of circles that are more instructional and there's a teacher and there's a leader and they kind of set things up in a structured way. my circles are a little bit of both. So I started out with some instruction um, and then it, it sort of leans into all of us practicing together because um, I read during these as well. Um, that being said, I do try to sort of help out as we're going, if it's going to be beneficial to the students. Do you think that there's a lot of power when you bring a lot of people together that you can almost get you know, stronger readings or do you get different readings? Like I would imagine that if you're bringing a whole bunch of high vibration, high vibration people together, that that would lift everybody up maybe higher than they can go on their own. Any thoughts on that? That I would say is absolutely true. Um, And we actually just a couple of weeks ago had an experience like that because I had two volunteers lined up, but one of them was not able to make it. And it was, um, you know, after we had already started, so I didn't have a replacement. And we actually ended up all going around the room for this one volunteer. And some of us were getting the same messages and some of us were getting different messages. And it ended up being a pretty full reading for our one volunteer, just based on all these different practicing mediums coming together, trying to, you know, glean different pieces of evidence. It was really neat to see. That's so cool. How important is it to choose the people in your spirit circle wisely? Um, That's actually a good question. I'm so glad you asked that. So in my spirit circles, and you'll find different ones all over the world with different rules. In my spirit circles, um, most of the people who attend them have already taken courses with me or are my mediumship development students from my mediumship development mentorship. 
Um, you do not have to be a student of mine to take my mediumship circles. However, I do require that you and I chit chat first, because I want to know that you are someone who's going to be a safe person to be in this sort of sacred environment with us. So everyone that's in the circle, I know I personally hand request the volunteers. I don't take people like, Oh, can I be a volunteer? I don't take that. I have to reach out to you and say, I know you'd be a great volunteer. Cause I personally know you come on in. Yeah. Um, so I'm very particular about that because, uh, to be fair, most of the people that are in that circle are my intensive one-on-one mentorship students. They've, you know, they've paid me money to have this mentorship with me. And I want to make sure that they have a good experience, yeah. a safe experience. They're my priority, my students. That being said, you know, spirit is not something you want to mess with either. So I want to make sure that we all have a safe environment in that realm too. Yeah, exactly. I love that. All right, let's move the conversation along now a little bit to um, connecting with your loved ones. So I, one of the things that I loved that you mentioned on your Instagram were some tips and tricks of connecting with your loved one, but then you were also talking about signs and paying attention to signs Mm. from, you know, your loved ones. So first of all, are there particular tips and tricks that you have um, to connect with your loved one, or is it as easy as saying, Hey, mother-in-law, you know, I would really like to get a sign from you today. Sometimes it is that easy. And I think it depends on the spirit and it depends on your level of openness more than anything else. Um, So I oftentimes will hear people in readings say to me, I really don't see many signs from my past loved one. How do I know that they're around? I really don't. I don't feel them. I don't see them help. I'm missing it. Um, And what I have to say to them is, or or I should say what spirit usually has to say to them is like either number one, I'm there all the time. You don't see it. You're missing me. I'm trying, but you're not paying attention. Yeah. Or number two, the spirit might say, well, honey, when I try, you cry. So I back up a little because it makes you sad and I don't want to hurt you. Um, And if that's the case, then that's okay too. Just give yourself a little more time with the grieving process. They're there. They're supporting you. They're just sort of keeping their space because when you feel them around you, it lowers your energy and makes you feel sad instead of feeling supported. I'll ask my loved ones for signs and I'll say, listen, I I don't know if I'm just missing it or what, but I need you to be obvious whatever you're doing has not been enough. I want you to smack me in the face with this mom. I want to know that you're around because I'm feeling, you know, I'm missing you. And I need a sign from you. One that is like ridiculous and obvious and don't play with me. Just, just give me my sign. (laughs) And that usually will happen for me. One of the challenges with being a human, I find is being in the present moment. And so like you're talking about, if you're not in the present moment, you're missing all of these signs around you. So I totally understand being clear and saying, I need an obvious sign because otherwise sometimes we're just so lost in our own head that we're missing it. Yeah. And I think some other reasons that people miss the signs are because they're looking for certain things or they're putting too much expectation on it. What I always tell people, and I think this is so important to know is that if you see something And it makes you stop almost in your tracks, especially, especially those ones that make you stop in your tracks and say, oh, gee, I wonder if that was my so-and-so. 
then it probably was because they send the thought with it as well. They want you to notice them. They're sending it to you so that you see it. They're standing right there. That's why you're thinking of them. They're there. Right. Yeah. Um, and I also say that you need to really look and, and be willing to see signs that maybe you didn't expect. Don't necessarily tell them what you want them to see. They don't have to be the traditional signs like birds or feathers. Maybe be prepared to see something weird. My grandfather always sends me garden gnomes. I see them everywhere. So you'll be it's walking cute, down right? the street. There's a garden gnome. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Hi, Papa. Um, so, so keep your mind open to what it could be and also to where you could see it. You know, if say your grandmother sends you dragonflies, you can look for dragonflies outside of nature. You don't have to wait for a dragonfly to land on your hand to consider that a sign. Maybe you'll see a sticker. Maybe you'll see, um, an ad on TV. Maybe you'll see somebody post something on Instagram. Those can all be messages as well. Right. So with your grandfather and the gnome, how did you know that gnomes are from him? Did he have a connection to gnomes when he was here? He did. Okay. He did. And he was very into mediumship in general. And so I, you know, as I sat by his bedside, we spent a lot of time together toward the end of his life, just him and I, um, holding hands. And so we had a lot of sort of talks in that respect. And I made sure that he would be present for me. I, I asked him specifically. And so he is, he's very present for me. That's not, I also smell tomato plants when he's around and, and some other things too. He's the cutest, cutest. It's so interesting because you just mentioned it there, you know, um, seeing signs isn't the only thing you can also hear signs and smell things as well. Like you've just said with the tomato plants. Yes. Um, okay. So lots of times too, I want you to pay attention to your cravings because that is sort of the way that psychic taste works. Okay. So we don't necessarily, I'm not going to suddenly taste something in my mouth. That's not there. Um, what it usually is, it's, it's more like the impression of a taste or the impression of a smell. Sometimes it will be blatant right in front of you. You can smell it. Maybe even other people in the room can smell it. Sometimes it's more like the impression of it. So, you know, that feeling when you're, you've got a craving for something and it's so strong that you can practically taste it. Yes. That is what Claire Gustins and Claire Alliance feels like for a lot of people. So for example, when I, my, my father-in-law, who's also passed, um, he will send, he he's sent my husband before egg salad. My husband came home. like, I need egg salad. I, I don't know why I just need it. I can't stop thinking about it. It's all I can think about all day. I'm like weird, but okay. I went and I made him some egg salad. We happen to have some <laughs> eggs. Um, he took one bite and he was like, this is so gross. And I'm like, what, what now we have all this egg salad. What do you mean? This is gross. Eat it. And he was like, I don't even like egg salad. I don't know why I wanted that. I asked my sister-in-law, she was like, it's my father's favorite. And I asked him, he said, oh yeah, it was my father's favorite. And I said, well, that makes sense. I don't know why, if I had known that I would have told you because I've seen him around multiple times today. So he's really present. Eat your egg salad and say hi to dad. <laughs> That is so fantastic. I love that so much. You know, I'd actually haven't really had anybody explain to me about uh, the tasting, you know, and the impressions in that way. So that was really interesting. How can you develop more of that? I mean, if you're craving something, how can you connect it to spirit? Or, I mean, do you just sometimes just crave something because you want it also? <laughs> 
Oh, you definitely, definitely, definitely crave like donuts, right, them. girl? I think <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't have any past loved ones that had an obsession for donuts, so I know that that is all me. But like with the tomato plants, my grandfather and I had, you know, that was one of the connections and the touchstones in our relationship. My husband, if he had stopped and thought for a moment, he would have thought about the fact that, oh, my dad loved egg salad sandwiches. That makes sense. So I think if it's, again, if it's something that makes you consider your past loved one, there's a really good hint. Mm, That's so good. When people pass over, are the signs from them usually stronger around that time? Or can you continue to keep the connection with your spirit, you know, months and even years and even decades after they've after they've transitioned? That's a great question. I think that the reason that it might seem as though those are stronger in the beginning is because we, as the grieving person, as the mourner, need it more. We need to know that they got there okay. And so that's just our loved one trying to reassure us. That's our loved one really trying to reassure us. As the years go by and our grief sort of levels off to a place of, you know, the holes in our heart can never be filled, but they become less wrong, right? As time goes on for many people, and it's more like moments and things will remind you and sort of open that rawness rather than just this constant state of grief. Um, for most people in normal relationship passings, that's sort of how we experience it. And so they, they can sort of back off a little bit in terms of, I don't need to be throwing these signs at you all the time because I know you that I'm around. Right. And we've already maybe established that through, you know, other signs that I've been showing you previous to this. Yes. I had a friend pass away a few weeks ago, very, um, she was, she was killed on a motorcycle in an accident, hit and killed. And I had a really hard, yeah, she's my age. We were mom friends. She also had four kids. Um, She threw my baby shower. She brought me cold cuts in the hospital after the birth of my son. I mean, that's your person that brings you a sub after you have a baby. Right. Um, So her and I, it, it was, it was a really hard thing for me. And I had a lot of feelings about it. And I spent many days talking with her and, um, just like, I couldn't talking to her, I should say not with her because I wasn't receiving anything back. And that was because I, when I thought of her, I would feel sad. So my vibration would lower. So I wasn't able necessarily to receive those messages. The signs that she was sending me were so insane that I, it could not be denied. So I'll give you an example, like three days in bed, kind of upset, just because it really, it made me reflect on how I treat friends. And, you know, when you have a friend that passes, you think about how was I as a friend, I wasn't a good enough friend. You have guilt in that sense. And it also made me really think about my own mortality. What would happen if I just disappeared and was no longer here for my children or, you know what I mean? It really made me think about a lot of stuff. And so I had been talking to her, like, I just want to know that you're okay. And, and, and that you're with your family, that your family, that your children are, are okay. Like, just tell me what to do. Um, And so one day I was getting gas and I'm standing at the pump and I'm like, I was about to take um, about an hour long drive. And so I'm pumping and I said, okay, Cal, I am going to, her name was Kelly. I said, okay, Cal, I'm going to put my shuffle on right now. And I really, really need you to talk to me. I know that I'm not in a position where I can communicate with you. Like I could for a stranger because of my attachment to this situation. 
So I need you to talk to me through my shuffle. And I, I went back to what I was doing, pumping the gas, but now I'm daydreaming in my head. And I thought to myself, I wonder what she would send me. Like, I wonder what she would have to say. And I thought, you know what I bet she'd send would be uh, Rob Zombie because her and I both like, I know that we both really liked him and that was something we would talk about often. And I get in my car, I turn my car on, I press shuffle and the song, The Living Dead Girl by Rob Zombie comes on the very first song after I hit play. And I burst into tears. My kids were like, why are you crying? And I was like, Kelly's here. <laughs> I'm just happy. You know? Um, so I just felt so supported in that. And then to take it even one step further, the signs continued, the signs continued. And it's a long story. I could, I could tell you about all I the love signs it. for days, but so um, then the day of her funeral, I was cleaning the kitchen for our babysitter and the song um, Forever Young came on and I burst into tears and I stood there crying instead of sweeping. And when the song ended, I went back to sweeping and went about my business. And a couple of days later, my friend's sister posted a photo of my friend with the song Forever Young over it. And I messaged her and I said, oh my God. And I told her the story about the spirit sign. And you know what she said back to me? How soon is too soon to get a reading? Can you connect me with her? And I said, I, you know, I told her what I tell people and that's that I think it really depends more on you and your place of healing. And she decided that she wanted to try anyway. And I was able to connect with my friend because it was for her. And I was able to surrender my own emotions okay. to it. Oh. Jeez. And put myself in a place of service, which is something I personally happen to be good at. I'm not so good at taking good care of myself, but I'm great at taking care of other people. So I was able to put myself in a place of service. And not only were those messages healing and um, they answered a lot of questions for her, but for me as well. And I cannot even explain to you the immediate sense of relief I had. And I have not one single doubt in my mind that Kelly was sending me all of those clear cut signs to get her sister to come to me, not just to answer my questions, but to get her sister to come to me. I feel all that. That's yeah, it was powerful and beautiful. And, um, I, I love it. I love, I love you, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so good. So how do you know, do you find that your gift has helped you to process your grief? Because I don't know about you, but I feel all that from you right now. And it's really strong. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're able to speak with spirit. Not everyone is open to that yet, you know, or, or developed enough as does that help you process your grief? Cause to me, it feels like it's still really strong for you, which makes total sense. Um, do you think it's easier or are you just also a normal person, even though you, you understand this? Yeah. A little bit of both. And I think it depends on the circumstances in terms of Kelly. I mean, I, it really led me to a crisis of faith, to be honest with you. Not that I didn't believe in the afterlife or that I didn't believe in my own gifts, but I was like, how, I just didn't know how to like wrap my mind around all of it for a few days. And then the signs started coming in so strongly. And so it just was such an incredible way for me to reaffirm not only my faith in the afterlife and spirits loving support, but to reaffirm for me, my faith in what I do for a living, because I was able to 
do that for her sister or to bridge the gap between the two of them and provide that communication for the two of them. Um, so it really, in this particular case, it was able to help me reaffirm my faith in my own purpose. I think, um, I've had other losses in my life where it helped me because I was able to sort of remember the long game and how they'll be around me. Like my grandparents, for example, they really, um, helped raise me. We were extremely close. I lived with them for some time. Losing them was probably the hardest thing that I think I've been through losing my grandmother. Um, and I feel so strongly connected to them now. Um, their ashes are right next to me. I like, I talk to them on a regular basis. They in fact, almost serve me in a way, um, that a spirit guide would. So, um, I think that if you're able to lean into your spirituality, and your maybe gifts of connecting with other people, not only are you able to sort of believe in the afterlife and feel that sense of validation that our loved ones are around us, but you're able to now build a relationship with them. It's not the same. It's not good enough. I would give anything to have a hug, right? Yeah. But it's what I have and it it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. I love that so much. So, I mean, Jamie, when we're talking... <laughs> It's just been such a fabulous conversation. We are getting, you know, sort of close to the end of our time here, but I really wanted to yeah. talk to you about your passion with researching unresolved cases and helping missing people um, or helping the families of missing people. So I guess it's one thing that when you lose somebody to understand the way that they've passed and to kind of cope with that grief in that way. But I would imagine that there's a whole amount of grief and um, unfinished business, for lack of a better word, when somebody's gone missing or when you don't really know how they passed over. So can you tell me a bit about your work in that area? Well, I should preface it by saying that I don't generally do these kind of things in terms of my business, in terms of my mediumship. And I'll tell you why. When you have say, um, like, like the last one that I worked on is we helped, um, find the family. There was a group that I was in that, um, I helped find the family, um, and identify an unidentified doe. He had been found in a tent in the Everglades in Florida. He was missing or, or he was unclaimed for two years, um, before we fundraised and researched and did tons and tons of work in order to help locate his ancestry. Genealogically, we were able to find some family for him. Um, and it was rewarding and it was crazy um, and it was wild and it was sad and it was tragic. Um, and I will never forget this particular man as long as I live. However, I don't have his family's permission to read him. And I could maybe make connections with him and maybe I did. I did. I did make connections with him in my own way for my own thoughts. But when you have a missing person or an unidentified person, I will only, only, only use my mediumship abilities if I'm working with the exact family. If the family has come to me and said, please, because consent is a huge thing for me. Yeah. It's not my place to sort of channel this man and say what I think happened in, in his life. I don't have his living person permission to do that. And I don't have his family's permission to do that. I'm really, really big on consent. Like I would never, you know, on those TV shows, somebody goes up to somebody in the grocery store and is like, oh, did your mother die? I have her here. I would never in a million years do that. I think it's 
unethical. And I also don't think when it happens on TV, it's real. It's a setup. Um, so that's not something that I would ever do. I really believe strongly in consent before reading. When I say that I help out with these cases, I mean, I like, like everybody else from my human capacity. And I also think it's important not to draw like the crazy attention to it. Like I work full-time professionally as a medium and I hold the field in very high regard and professionalism and reverence and respect. But there are a lot of people out there that actually are just, you know, either con people or fake or whatever. And I don't, I would never want to tarnish some good work with the idea of like, oh, there's a psychic involved. So anything that I do would be like on the down low. <laughs> Any help that I've given in that realm has been like a private, quiet, personal thing. Um, and I would never advertise as such. That being said, when I say that I help, it's just volunteer time. It's mostly research, um, like internet research, like combing through your books and finding people that look like this dough that we have, right. um, or, you know, just researching like crazy, the unidentified, all the doughs in like, it involves a lot of just looking through the dough network and saying, does this look like our missing person? No, can't be her. She's five foot five. Does this look like our missing person? No, can't be her. She has a tattoo. Does this look like our, I mean, it's not, it's not a beautiful psychic mystical story yeah. to tell you. It's just human work. <laughs> Yeah, but I, it's so powerful because what you're doing is you're allowing people to have closure. I mean, do you think that your dough, when they've passed over, that they're also looking for that peace? Yes. And I think that the reason that I'm drawn to it is because they've drawn me to it. Yeah. Yeah. I typically will only help with or only really get deep down the rabbit hole, I guess I should say with cases that I've felt really, really drawn to or really, really called to. I watch a lot of true crime. I just find it interesting. Um, and there are only some where I feel like that zing up the center of my spine where I, I have to do more on this. And I think it's because of them. Is that kind of how you would connect with a missing person is through a show like that? Or how else would you hear about these people? In the ones that I would actually, you know, be involved in, it's probably something that's more local or quieter. Um, I have seen some shows though, where, and I've taken, I've actually taken, I should add, I've taken psychic forensic courses. I've, I've done the workshops to do the work. I, I know what I'm doing in that area. It's just such a touchy subject that I, yeah. I don't really do that sort of work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, at least not right now. It's something I always want to kind of have on the back burner for me because it's so, it feels so important to me. Um, and it's also not something that I would ever want to charge for. So, um, you know, I have to focus more on my stuff that pays the bills. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. but, but there have been cases where I've watched the show and my, you know, my, my goosebumps have kicked in and I've, said, oh my God, I have to figure this out. And then researched it to the point where now I'm joining Facebook groups and I'm part of the sort of research efforts. Um, there have been a few cases like that. Yeah. I would imagine it would be difficult in a way when you could potentially tap into getting more information, but then also to abide by your code of ethics, or is it even difficult if you have a code of ethics, you're like, no, that's, it just feels like cheating, which, you know, some people play games and they cheat and some people play games and they would never think of cheating. Yeah. So if I were to connect with um, a past spirit um, who maybe if somebody who is missing, I mean, if somebody's missing, we don't even know if they're a spirit, right? So but right. I might have a feeling I might have an impression because I might be able to tell, um, 
But until we have evidence, then it's nothing but hearsay. And even if I sat here with the spirit here talking to me, telling me all this stuff outright, if I don't have a person sitting on the other side of the table to confirm or deny that stuff, it means nothing. All right. So you trust yourself, but again, you need that. You need somebody I trust to... myself, but I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there have been, you know, there's been, there's been time, like certainly with, with him in particular, there was stuff that I had picked up on that I felt like later, oh yeah, that makes sense now. And there was other stuff that surprised me about him. And I didn't know because they have the choice of what they want to share with us. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. All right. Well, we're just getting to the end now. I know uh, I've taken us a little bit over time, but uh I could talk to you forever. So I guess I'd love to know, first of all, uh, is there anything that I didn't ask that you wanted to bring up? And I also was wondering if you could give some advice as well on how to choose a medium. I mean, I know that's the kind of work you do. I'm going to get you to, you know, talk about how people can connect with you, but I, I do find that it's important. What you've said earlier is that not everybody who, you know, has the title of medium is necessarily, you know, doing the, doing the work in, in the way that it, you know, it's meant to be done. I'm, I'm glad you asked that. And if I had to pick one more thing that you didn't ask me, that's an important thing to address. Um, when you are looking, especially right with social media, the way that it is, um, Instagram fake accounts. I've had people make fake accounts of my page before that is rampant right now. A lot of people are doing that. And so what they'll do is they'll make a fake account that looks like me. And then they'll message people or comment on them and say, you need a reading DM me for a reading, or they'll say, can I give you a reading? And then these people send money and then they don't get a reading. Um, so please watch for that. Make sure that like, you know, you're, you're reasonably sure that it's a person's real account. If that happens to you, no real psychic or medium should ever reach out to you and say, can I give you a reading? Now, somebody might approach you and say, oh, your past loved one came to me and they really want to talk to you. Does that mean that they're not a real medium? No, but it's likely, right? Because a, a real medium should hopefully have enough training and enough ethics before they're working with the public to know that that's not how we do things. That's not ethical, right? You don't ever want to approach somebody because you don't know if they're ready for it. It's just not the way that you do things. Um, So that's a really good thing to know about choosing a medium. Also, I say, look for somebody that you feel good about. If you watch their videos and you love the way they talk about spirituality, then that's a good sign. You, they want to be somebody that you sort of vibe with or have a good, you know, you get a good vibe from them. You have a good connection. You can have a conversation with them. Um, and you also want to choose somebody who has good reviews and has good practices in place. And you can see that, you know, people like maybe they come, I, in fact, I do most of my business, I would say by word of mouth. Um, so get recommendations from other people, just, you know, make sure they're legit and make sure they're ethical because we're talking about your, your heart here. A bad medium can do more harm than good. And it's really important that you protect yourself, I guess I would say. So true. I mean, I couldn't even imagine going to somebody dealing with grief and then having somebody, you know, misuse their power in that way. Yeah. Yes. Especially when you're in this vulnerable place, you know? Yeah, for sure. 
Well, Jamie, thank you so much for, you know, just sharing your heart today and all the things that we've covered. I mean, wow, I had a lot of wow moments in this entire episode. And I want to thank you so much for that. How can people find out more about you and get a reading from the real Jamie Day? (laughs) Sure. So um, I would say I'm probably social media wise, I'm probably most active on Instagram and it's medium Jamie day. Um, that's also my website, www.mediumjamieday.com. There you will find pages for readings. Um, and I give you sort of detailed instructions on the d- different readings I offer. I do more than just mediumship. Um, so you can check that out and see what kind of readings I have. You'll also find a page for events, um, you know, things I have coming up locally, but I also have a month long workshop coming up about how to kickstart your own spirit led life, sort of making your spiritual routines and practices and habits, uh, work for you in like easy, manageable ways. We'll do, um, daily meditation guidelines, some, different workshops, things like that. So you can check that out. And then there's also a tab for my everyday medium mentorship. So that's for people who might feel drawn to mediumship, sort of mediumship for beginners. I would say that's an intensive one-on-one coaching program. And my students are mind-blowing and I'm so proud of them. I love it. I think teaching is probably my absolute favorite part of what I do. I used to be a classroom teacher. I have my license to teach. So um, it fills both my passion, both of the, you know, I'm multi-passionate, right? It fills my heart up so much to teach mediumship. I just can't even, I just can't even tell you. So, um, so check that out. Well, your passion is contagious. I feel it a lot here. So thank you so much for all your time, Jamie. And I'd love to have you back on the show at any time. Thank you. Yes, you betcha. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.